Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. everyone welcome to episode number 24 part two of graveyard duck podcast uh with you as always my name is scott and i'm wes and uh back after a few technical difficulties tried to record on a normal night and uh yeah the internet gods just didn't want to have it yeah well you know it's it's a thing um every podcast i think has a, a lost episode so to speak and i know um when i was doing drunken zombie years ago we had a really good episode that was lost um, to the internet somehow so i'm glad we got ours out of the way and <laughs> re-recorded so yeah we discovered it you know only only about 20 minutes in so would, you you were starting to sound a little too much like a robot and um well i normally do so it's kind of hard to, you know <laughs> so anyway we decided we'll give this another run and rather than skip the episode we'll we'll give you your proper episode here um so yeah after a long-awaited anticipation. Um, here we are talking about Castlevania Dracula X Rondo of Blood, mm -hmm. uh, released for the PC Engine, uh, came out in Japan, Japan only, actually, October 29th, 1993. Mm -hmm. um, this was the Super CD-ROM 2 version of the PC Engine, the add-on, so don't get this confused with the Super Nintendo Dracula X that uh, you might you might think is the same game. It uh, It ain't. Yeah, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I wanted to say just right off the bat, in case there's listeners who are listening and decide, like, eh, maybe I'll wait and listen to the whole episode later or whatever. Uh, we're going to go ahead and just say, like, right up front that this is a big recommend from both of us and that also there's an, a, a rare opportunity for you guys to be able to play this game. Uh, I know if you have don't have a Turbo Graphics, don't have the Turbo Duo, it's going to be tough to get it. However, this is one of the games that actually got released on the Wii Virtual Console. Um, so if you've got a Wii, you could still get this. And unfortunately, there's kind of a limited window of opportunity to still do so. Um, if I understand this right, I think starting the end of March, they're going to basically discontinue credit so like you you can't buy any more points uh, i understand that as of now you could they're still planning on you being able to spend the points through the end of the year but mm -hmm. um yeah if you've got an extra five ten bucks sitting in your pocket and have a wee sitting at home then i honestly can't think of a whole lot better use of that money than to go buy this game and uh play through it you'll be doing yourself a huge favor 
Yeah. And also um, on that note, if you're if you're also a, a PC Engine CD fan, um, there's a, a ton of PC Engine CD games that are on the Wii Virtual Console that are very affordable. Um, games like Dynastic Hero, Gate of Thunder, Lords of Thunder. Um, and those games are all prohibitively expensive for the actual physical copies. And there's not really any other any other way outside of emulation that you can um, get copies of those. So um, I'd recommend if you if you like Dracula X, if you like um, PC Engine CD games, um, you know, just load up some points and and grab some games because uh, you will not be disappointed and you'll save a shitload of money. Yeah, the, if you're an RPG fan too, isn't it Ease Books one and two? Yep, on Ease there also. On there, yeah. Well, but Ease is a little different though because it's been remade and re-released in a lot of different versions. But if you like the the turbo graphics version then that one specifically yes i would recommend that one too right yeah and on this topic actually this game has been remade as well and there is a, a third option for being able to play it um if you have uh, remind me of this because i don't own either system but it's a psp or mm-hmm. was it on ps3 uh no well originally it came out on psp in 2007 as part of the um dracula x chronicles and uh, it's also available on um, the PlayStation Network store as well. So, oh, that's where it is. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, like, I can play it on my Vita as a d- digital download. But um, if you also have the disc, the UMD disc for the PSP, it works on there too. Yeah. So, and in that case, it was a remake, kind of an upgrade, but the original game was unlockable in there yeah. too. So, so is uh, Symphony of the Night. It's on there as well. Right. So, totally worth it. So, yeah, a long preamble basically just to say that this game is available. Uh, some options more expensive than others, some limited time only, but uh, you can get it. You absolutely should. And then, yeah, you can go back to enjoying the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyway, let's kick this off kind of the way we always do and talk some nostalgia. So, Wes, uh, this was your pick for a game. So, why don't you go first and tell us what you remember about your early days with Rondo of Blood? Will do. Um, I've actually got a really long history with this game um, as far as just uh, just wanting a copy of it for a long time. And a lot of that started with um, seeing it in magazines like Die Hard Game Fan and EGM, stuff like that back in uh, 92, 93 or so. And, you know, just kind of marveling at how good it looked and the detail, the sprite work. And, and just it was that game that was just barely out of reach for me because, you know, I grew up with I had an NES and a Super NES and didn't really have the opportunity at the time to get a turbo graphics or anything like that so it sat on the back burner for a long time and even even when the game came out i mean i can remember a lot of the import stores in the back of the magazines charging about a hundred dollars for it so it was always pretty expensive um a little bit later down the road i was working at um suncoast motion picture company um, this would have been about 2001 2002 or so and um the uh the electronics boutique in the mall there was a new manager that had just come in there and was talking to him a little bit he was a cool dude and come to find out he had a uh, turbo graphics 16 with the cd-rom attachment and everything and i offered to, to buy it from him and we kind of worked out a deal and you know basically it kind of boiled down to um he was like well i want some dvds and so if you can use your employee discount and buy me you know x amount of dvds I'll just trade you the turbo graphics and the CD straight up, which is great because um, if anybody remembers Suncoast, I mean, all of their DVDs were suggested retail price and I got like 30% off. So really, if you think about it, like 
I mean, it was no different than just going to Best Buy and buying a copy. But anyway, so we did the switch, um, traded it off, and I got Turbo Graphics with uh, CD-ROM and some games, stuff like that. The tricky thing with Turbo Graphics was with the CD-ROM, you know, like we said in the beginning of the episode, it's a Super CD-ROM 2 game. And there was actually, that's the second revision of the CD. Um, so it's a little confusing because if you had the Turbo Graphics and the CD-ROM attachment, you had to have a system card. And the Super CD-ROM was just a system card 2.0. And so trying to get a Super System Card 3.0 at the time, and keep in mind that the Turbo Graphics was region locked, at least as far as the, the Hue cards are. So trying to get a copy of the 3.0 card, it was very expensive. It was probably almost $300 for the US version because it was so rare. So again, like it was just out of reach. So it's like, well, shit, you know, I can't, can't really afford to do that right now. So um, I enjoyed the Turbo and the CD for, you know, for what it was for a while. And then um, ended up selling that. And then a few years ago, I bought a PC Engine Duo R. And so that is, that's more like the, um, the all-in-one, the PC Engine and the CD together. But the Duo R has the Super System uh, 3.0 already built in. So you can run Super System or Super CD-ROM 2 games on it. So I had that. And then um, I was on uh, a forum, Nintendo Age, and there was a guy that was um, had kind of a want list of some games. So he was looking for a copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters on the NES, which is a late release, kind of rare. Yeah, hard to find one. Yeah, yeah. So I've had a copy for a long time. It's an okay game. And uh, I messaged him. I said, hey, I've got a copy of this. You know, would you mind just trading straight up for Dracula X? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So we did that. Um, I finally had a physical copy of the game and, uh, you know, played the hell out of it. And I should say, I should back up a little bit because before that, you know, 2007, the PSP remake was out. I had that. Um, I had the Wii version, the virtual console version. But, you know, playing both of those, like, it was it was good, but it didn't scratch that itch for me. It's like I had to play the original version as it was intended. And so it was still kind of my white whale. It was still just barely out of reach until a couple of years ago. So um, that's kind of my history of the game um, as far as just my uh, my desire for it for so long. And, uh, you know, I... I've played the physical copy more than I've played my digital download version. Yeah, and that's cool. I mean, it's I've always kind of said that, you know, with in today's era, there's so many different ways to play video games, including, you know, you could play the original hardware, you can play emulators, you can play virtual consoles, like all of that. But like, if you can find the original version, like, I'm not just saying this is like, oh, some kind of purist, but like, th- there is definitely a difference in just the way it the plays the way the the rom you know renders like it's it, resolutions different like it, it's it's a yeah. very different feel yeah. um and especially depending on your setup i mean if you've got like a uh, a trinitron or a crt or a pvm or something like that it's going to look you know as close to the original version uh, as it possibly can and you know no no disrespect to you know a digital version or anything like that it's just i i kind of equate it to more like uh, you know listening to a song on a CD or Spotify versus like the original LP on a, you know, really kick-ass old school sound system. Right. Yeah. Or the, the way I kind of explained it to somebody one time, it's just like virtual console games kind of feel like playing, uh, you know, it's, it's the video game version of like watching a movie on YouTube. Okay. Um, yeah. I would say more it's closer to, to the Sega channel, but I guess, you know, <laughs> 
in a way because i mean you know it's like we have we have games at our fingertips now so right why go to a store yeah so i don't have you know near the story with this one um i have always been just a diehard castlevania fan um the franchise is one that i just completely love and i didn't even become aware of this game until i was in college Hmm. which was basically the time that the the ps1 came out so symphony of the night was a huge game for me and my college friends Mm -hmm. and um yeah, it's, it's that very intro prologue stage where you're playing the final battle of Rondo of Blood. Mm-hmm. And like seeing that, just kind of like, oh, like there's this other Castlevania game that exists that I don't know anything about. And so we, you know, me and my friends kind of did some research. Uh, that was also the time that like emulators were start, first starting to crop up. So I, I had dabbled a little bit in some of the other, you know, harder to, get your hands on Castlevania games like the uh, MSX2 game and um, like the the arcade port uh, we were able to play, things like that. But like this was still just this weird, obscure one that we didn't know about. So I started, you know, Google, or well, I don't even know if Google was around at that point. Um, I, I would say more Alta Vista. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I did a web crawler search right. <laughs> and discovered that, you know. Web ring and... Uh... <laughs> Uh, discovered that this does exist and that it was for the TurboGrafx-16 CD add-on, you know, neither of which I had. And it's one of maybe three times in my entire life that I've considered buying a game system purely for one game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time, it was kind of like you said, just prohibitively expensive, you know, being on a college budget, you know, you know, among other things. But I think for me to get a copy of the system and the game, I would have been paying somewhere between two to $250 plus any sort of shipping or import fees. So not going to be something that I was getting back then, but it just always kind of sat in my mind as this Castlevania game that I had to play. Um, and then, you know, also the more you more research you did online to learn that it's like a lot of people say like, Oh, it's the best one. It's like the must play Castlevania. It's like, well, shit, now I have to, mm-hmm. um, but never got the opportunity till a few years after I graduated college and the Wii came out. And yeah, when I saw that there was a virtual console for that and one of the kind of flagship games that were, or at least one of the early games I remember was Rondo of blood. And I thought like, huh, I wonder if that's that. So, I mean, the day I bought my Wii, took it home, was playing around on the virtual console, saw that, decided to buy it. And when I saw that the, uh, you know, title screen in Japanese popped up, it's like, oh, I did I just find that game finally? And started playing it and realized that sure enough, after how many years, I finally got a copy of it. So I was singing Nintendo's praises for actually releasing this game that had otherwise been just kind of this obscurity and uh, might kind of just have fallen by the wayside. I mean, eventually we got other releases of it, but yeah, yeah I mean, that was that was really remarkable that they went to the efforts to give us access to this game that they very easily could have just ignored. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was one of the very first, if not the first, Wii download that I made, um, and I still have it to this day, still play it, um, mm-hmm. and absolutely love it. So yeah. And it's a weird thing too, um, what you mentioned as far as the, the download piece, um, as far as the rights are concerned with it, because obviously this is a Konami property, but um, the weird thing with um, Turbo Graphics and, and PC Engine is 
majority of the games were developed by Hudson, Hudson Soft. And a few years ago, Konami purchased the rights to Hudson Soft so they could kind of redistribute them, you know, as digital downloads and stuff like that. So you you still see them here and there, but um, there's just not a lot of digital exposure out there for these titles, uh, which is kind of sad because there are a lot of, um, I mean, I guess you could say hidden gems, I guess, in a way, but there's a lot of good games on the console that are in a way almost lost to time, you know, um, with having like two different companies having the rights to them and stuff like that. So, right. Right. Uh, yeah. So it, again, it kind of adds to that, the mystery of it all, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's sad when that happens, you know, today, cause there's still a couple, even some games that we've talked about here that I just, I don't think we're ever going to see mm. access to again. You know, the wizards and warriors franchise is a good example of that, that it's just yeah. kind of in this, rights limbo and we might never get more but you know because it's like a rare developed property but microsoft purchased a lot of shares in rare and things like that but it's yeah it's weird and then the other thing is too it's like a majority of the the programmers of those games that we knew and loved have moved on to either other companies or other projects or they've retired so even if those ips come back are they the you know are they going to be the same as what we remember it's hard to say right all right, so let's talk a little bit about this game. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, the setup is pretty simple. Uh, it follows a very traditional kind of format of a lot of the other Castlevania games. Well, I guess with the exception of Simon's Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, this was before the whole kind of Metroidvania style. So yeah, this would be the sort of the last of the console versions of classic Castlevania, I guess. Right. And it takes a lot of liberties and does a lot of, you know, very new and innovative things, which I give it credit for, but it still at its core is a side scrolling, whipping Castlevania game. Yeah. Um, you play yeah, as if, if you were familiar with, I mean, if you grew up playing Castlevania one, two and three and, and were familiar with the progression of the series up to that point, in a way, Rondo of blood is, is sort of a, back to basics approach because you right. don't have whip power-ups um you know you've got your sub weapons you've got your whip and it's it's very much like castlevania one in that respect well i mean even that one had the the power-ups to it like you started with the leather and then it went to the morning star sure sure yeah but, yeah in yeah, this one as far as like pure gameplay uh, right experience like there's no um you don't switch characters mid-game right um, I mean, yeah, this this dumbs it down even just a little bit more because your whip is, you know, it is what it is. Like, there's no, right. you know, making it longer. You know, getting the, going from the leather to the morning star. You yeah. get one extra little super move where if you double jump, you kind of do a little backflip. But right. um, outside of that, it's a very traditional, straightforward climb stairs, avoid Medusa head, whip at mm-hmm. enemies kind of thing. Um, but I like that approach. I like that it it kind of strips away some of the other stuff the the superfluous stuff a little bit to mm-hmm. kind of give you just okay here's here's my move set and here's how i control and nothing's going to change if i get hit i'm not going to lose a whip power up or anything right so you just yeah you just it's a back to basics approach that i like it's like how when mega man 9 came out and it went back to the like pre charge up pre slide like just that's a perfect analogy run and gun mm-hmm. um and yeah so the you are playing as Richter Belmont, who's the direct descendant of Simon. Um, story-wise, I mean, who cares? You're going after to go kill Dracula because he's back and doing bad shit. So mm-hmm. 
the end. Um, although I will say that this game throws a little curve or a few curveballs at you. Um, you've got basically multiple stages, which we'll kind of get into some of the details there, but it's not near as branched as, say, Castlevania 3. Right. But it at least has some secret exits, some alternate paths that you can take, um, all that get you to the same goal, but it's just a little bit of a variety, some more challenging areas, uh, and some reward for being more of a completionist. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it also has a really interesting thing, which I think is something very simple but adds a lot of depth, and that is there are uh, various prisoners throughout the stages that you have to rescue. Um, there are five in all, um, if I remember that right. I don't know if Maria counts as one of the... Yes, I believe so. Did um, you have... I'm trying to think here. Maria, Nat, Terra, Udersu. Okay, so there's four, I think. Yeah, I think that's it. I think it might be just the four, but um, yeah, it's like, and they're all hidden. You've got to do something special, like find a key or unlock a certain, you know, secret area to get to them. Uh, but it just kind of adds to the overall depth of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- three of the four don't really change the game much, but Maria, when you unlock her, who, if you're familiar with Symphony of the Night at all, you know her. She's the she's much older um, in Symphony of the Night, but. In this case, she's just a little girl who was also claims to be a vampire hunter and is there to take out Dracula as well. And um, once you have rescued her, you get the option to once you know in the menu switch between either character, and you can play as either Richter or Maria. Um, the stages are basically the same, but their power ups are going to be different. So again, go back to Castlevania Three. Only instead of being able to switch mid level, you kind of have to make the decision before you go in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's actually, it's really cool because it extends the replay value of this game quite a bit. Definitely. Um, because she plays completely differently. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got um, a different move set. She's got uh, double jumps, I think. And yeah. Instead of the backflip, she does a double jump. She can yeah. also slide and like kind of skate under certain enemies. Right. Um, her weapon is completely different. Her sub weapons are completely different. Right. And all in all, I kind of noticed that sh- her defense kind of sucks. Like yeah, most, she takes more damage. Most of the time, she's about a four-hit death, but mm-hmm. uh, her weapon is far more powerful. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I was kind of surprised. I played through this mostly as Richter, just because I felt felt like that probably got me the real ending and was the, air quotes, true way to play. Mm. And then, you know, just trying to get the, the completionist, I thought... When I finished this, because the game tracks what your percentage is of completion, I was sitting at 96%, and I couldn't figure out what the 4% I was missing was. And I thought maybe you just had to beat the game using both characters. So I went back and just killed Dracula's Maria, and it's like, holy shit, this is so much easier. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's fun too because Maria's ending is actually really funny because you, yeah. you get a, a really fun little uh, cutscene at the end of it. But uh, yeah, it's it's more of a I guess a, a hard mode in a way. But if you're really good, it, it's uh, it's pretty easy to play through with her. Right. Yeah, I think her mobility is just a little bit better. You've got to be more precise with the weapons because I've there's a couple that are very. Yeah, I would say not very user friendly. Yeah, I mean her sub weapons are all totally different. I mean there's there's a cat and there's a turtle, uh, there's a baby dragon, um, there's birds. Um, yeah, there's there's like an egg and there's like a music book. So 
um, it's it's very bizarre because you know you you start playing as her and you get these sub weapons you're like oh that's weird you know yeah. which is cool I like that so. mm-hmm. yeah it adds some fun to the game it keeps it, it keeps it a little more lighthearted you know obviously the Richter storyline is much more dark and gritty but yeah if you just want kind of the more fun experience then play as uh, Maria but yeah uh yeah i think the game also adds a couple other fun things i wanted to mention just you know twists that you're probably not used to uh all of the bosses have what i call kind of like the death lunge like you you kill them you think finally i survived and they all have some little thing that they do to come at you for one last point of damage and man it pisses you off when that kills you (laughs) how many times did that happen to you when you played through this so many (laughs) Because you don't know what it's going to be. It's not just like, oh, they get one more attack. You know, right. they change their pattern and do something totally different. Like the, I'm watching a playthrough right now. You know, the very first boss, if you go through the alternate route of stage one, is the big sea snake. And yeah, you kill him, and then like a jack in the box, he just springs up from underneath the screen and mm-hmm. tries to hit you just that one more time. And it's like, damn it. <laughs> I, and I I love that about this game, but also it, like it's frustrating if you if you're not paying attention. But I think that's the point is you know to to not make you rest easy. And the first time I think that happened to me was the uh, the Minotaur boss. Oh, he's a bitch. Yeah, he charges up and then does his like you know sure you can dragon punch. Yeah, it's it's tough to dodge, and depending on how you did, like if you're down to one hit, like yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's very common to to die by that last little lunge that they give but yeah so get used to um learning the backflip move because uh for richter when you when you jump and then if you're at the top of your jump you hit jump again you'll backflip and so Mm -hmm. that's i think that's why the backflip is there to kind of um uh, mitigate those those final attacks from the bosses right um yeah and the controls in this game are pretty good too like it's not as punishing as the nes castlevanias right um stiff Right, you've got a little bit more flexibility. It still has the problem of if you're standing near a ledge, you get hit. Like, yeah, it's going to knock you backwards and right off the cliff. Um, but you get some control of things like you can jump onto and off of staircases, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and it's it doesn't go quite as far as like say Super Castlevania Four, where you can you know whip in multi directions and swing it around like a lasso. Like it's just yeah, which I'm, I'm I'm glad that that's not in there because that it just makes the game too easy. I, I, I agree. Castlevania Four, but I think it's one of the easiest ones because of that ability. Right, definitely. So, um, yeah, all all in all, I really praise the play. Uh, I think it's just it's very tight. It's well controlled. It's fun. Um, the challenge is appropriate. Like, there's definitely stages that are just kick you in the ass hard. Yeah. But there's plenty of them that, you know, like we said, there's alternate routes. So if you kind of get stuck, like you can take other paths and still get to the end uh, and, you know, still kind of get a satisfying end. So, yeah, the cool thing is the um, the alternate paths are not they're not very easy to find. So in a way, it it encourages exploration throughout the stages because you're not sure exactly what might trigger that alternate path, whether it be destroying a gravestone or. you know, pushing a block aside or something like that. So, um, you know, if you're if you're used to classic Castlevania where you're whipping every single wall and things like that, um, you're going to find some hidden stuff and it's going to throw you off for a minute because, 
it's going to push you in a different direction. And then you just kind of go with it and you don't know what you'll find, which is great. Yeah. So basically the, the kind of format of how it works is there are six stages. Um, stage one and stage six are the same, no matter which path you take. Mm. But then there's, you know, two, what they call two and two prime, three, three prime, four, four prime, five, five prime. And in the middle of stage one, there's a, there's a point where you can take a secret exit. If you do, that'll take you to two prime. Mm-hmm. Now, once you get there, it's a completely different stage from two with a different boss and everything. But the same thing happens like halfway through two prime, there's a split and you can either take kind of the uh, default exit or you could find the secret exit. The default will actually bring you back up to the main path and then you'll end up back on just regular stage three. Mm-hmm. The secret exit keeps you on that prime path. So if you want to keep going through all of the prime stages, you have to continue to find these secret exits. Um, otherwise, it will kind of kick you back up to the, the regular. Um, and yeah, it's like that That can be kind of frustrating too when you're you're going through and like you, you can't backtrack in the stages once you go through a door. Like it's... yeah. You know, that's it. And so, yeah, if you're really trying to, you know, f- find all the things like you, you can get stuck and, you know, screwed out of them. But the other really nice thing about this game is that there's like e- every time you complete a stage, it, it's always saving your progress. So mm-hmm. when you go back to the menu at any time, you can then select whatever stage you want to play as long as you've already been there. So yeah. it, you kind of just you don't have to keep replaying the game every single time. Or, you know, if you get to stage six and you just can't beat Dracula, it's not like the other ones where, well, when you hit power, you now have to play through the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. Although I will say, if you're playing on original hardware on the, uh, like on the Duo R, for instance, um, the, the memory, the, the save data in the um, PC engine is, uh, uh, it's on a capacitor. So um, the more that you play like your Duo R, the capacitor will stay charged and keep your save data. But, um, and this game is short enough, it's not that big of a deal, but, um, and I've seen this firsthand, if you don't play your duo that much, or if you let it sit for a long time without power to it, um, there's a possibility that you can lose all your saves. Whoops. Yeah. Um, And now there are other backup options. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's a program called the Tonoke Bank that you can save your data to um, there's a couple of homebrew options as well, but uh, that is there. So, uh, you know, but in a game like this, it doesn't really bother me because if you know what you're doing, if you're if you're good enough at it, um, you'll hit 100% very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I also wanted to talk just a little bit too, because I think that this game is, you know, kind of pushing the boundaries of what we kind of set out and said would be kind of our retro window for games we talk about on the show. Uh, but this has a ton of throwback and things that I think fans of the NES trilogy are just absolutely going to love. You know, we kind of already talked about its similarities to Castlevania three, you know, such as switching characters, alternate paths. Um, Some of the enemies that you're going to see are throwbacks to that, which are great, but um, fans of Castlevania one and Castlevania two are not going to be disappointed either. The within the first stage, one of the little parts that you get to is, you know, you start out in the forest, you're working your way in, you've got to go through, you know, kind of a dilapidated town before you get into the, you know, castle area. And uh, it's, the town is from Castlevania 2? 
Yep. It's you're you're in Algeba, which is yeah, right out that, of Science West. The first uh, time I saw that, I was like, man, that's really cool. Because like yeah. graphically, it looks so similar. It it looks but exactly like fire. all the towns from Symphony or from right. Simon's Quest. There's a little sign that yeah, of course it's in Japanese, but it says you know Algeba City, right. and it's just like that's great. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really cool. So you've got to climb the stairs and go past the church, and you know it's it's, it's much different. It's there's no townspeople, nobody to talk to, but uh, just to feel like you're actually going through a town from an old game is is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's cool too because it it links this game with the previous ones as far as you know the storyline and and sort of the the canon, so to speak. Um, it's just cool to see that. Yeah, you feel like you're in the same world again. It's not you know different game, same franchise title. It's part of the same universe. Um, and, you know, which is nice too, because a lot of these games, even though, okay, supposedly we're going into the same castle every time, how come it never looks the same? Like, why right. is it always a different map? Always different, you know, other than the staircase leading up to Dracula, like it's not the same castle. And so this at least helps you feel like, yeah, it's still the same thing, which is, is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the other great throwback to the original castlevania which i will admit this is one of the most difficult boss fights in the game or at least for me it was was toward the end uh, i think it's the end of stage five maybe you've got to fight or maybe it's six you've got to fight shaft who's Uh the um the dark priest who's basically kidnapping people to use them as sacrifices for dracula and you have to fight him but before you get to you know take him on -on one-on-one he starts summoning all these different monsters and you kind of have this boss rush mode where you've got to fight four different bosses in a row before you get to him. And each one, he's just summoning these different creatures. And it took me a minute to realize the pattern of what was happening. But the first one is a gigantic bat. Mm -hmm. The second one is Medusa. The third one's a mummy. The fourth one's Frankenstein's monster. It's like, you're just playing through the boss rush mode of the original Castlevania here. A little bit, um, yeah. I was already used to it from playing through Castlevania 3 because there's a couple of boss rushes at that point, too, in that game. But uh, but it's just the fact that this is yeah. the bosses from the first game in the order that they're presented in that game, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, they, they don't do the Grim Reaper or Dracula because you fight them elsewhere. But yeah, the first four bosses from Castlevania are now fought in order mm-hmm. you know right in a row and i just thought that was that was awesome you know it's it's a subtle thing that if you're not a fan of the original you probably wouldn't even catch it but right for those and of us who love the trilogy i mean it throws you off at first it's kind of difficult but if you get past i think if you clear all four of those and then you get to shaft if you were if you die and restart then you'll start right at shaft yes so as long as you can eliminate the first four um, you know, you don't have to fight all five each time. Right. And they give you another little uh, boost along the way because killing the mummy drops meat. Right. So you get some health back. Mm-hmm. Um, killing the bat, you get a ton of hearts. So if you wasted a bunch of weapon, you're yeah. good there. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 not impossible to get through it, but it, it does take some work. And uh, yeah, then once you beat Frankenstein's monster, you don't have to fight them all again. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just thought that was an awesome little throwback. Oh yeah, for sure. That's um, definitely so. This is also a game that is going to be a lot of fun to people who are more familiar with some of the more recent titles. Like if you played Symphony of the Night, there are several enemies 
that are in this game that obviously this came first and then yeah. they just carried them over to symphony of the night but like i'm guessing most people played symphony first right and so to see you know various some of the big axe knights or um there mm-hmm. were the the big plant that shoots the little things that petrify you like there's just so many characters the the ghost the green ghost ball that curses you like tons and tons and tons of stuff in here mm-hmm. um symphony of the night references Oh, and I forgot the other great Simon's Quest one. The sprite work from Rondo of Blood and just put it right into Symphony mm-hmm. for ease of use, but that's fine. Yeah, I forgot the other great uh, Simon's Quest throwback here, too. The uh, boss fight with Camilla. Oh, yeah. That's a yeah. good one. Which, if, if, from Simon's Quest, that's the, the mask that you know mm-hmm. cries the bloody tears. And in this one, you see it, and she looks completely different, but it starts the same and you see yep. that exact same mask and then kind of morphs into the more modern version. It's like, that's just a, a nice little touch that they didn't have to put in there, but it's just, you know, to make the older gamers, you know, feel good. And it's like, yeah, we don't just modernize everything without also paying tribute to mm-hmm. what it was. So, yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. So, all right. So uh, obviously we're big fans of this game. Anything else you want to be sure to cover off and talk about here? I just I have a couple other quick things real quick, and it just um, kind of relates to I guess um, our generation or our age that kind of grew up with uh, with these games. But um, one of the things that that I love is um, especially in games is that early '90s anime aesthetic. Oh, yeah. and, um, I think that's one thing that, and you'll you'll see it a lot on the PC Engine. Um, a lot of games have that same thing as far as um, whether it be the cutscenes or just the aesthetic of of the way the characters are drawn. I just, I love that, that look. It's, um, it's very unique to its time and it's not something that's easily replicated anymore. So mm-hmm. um, that's one of the, the cool things about this game. I like is there's the cutscenes here and there are done in that, you know, that period's anime aesthetic and it's great. Um, the other thing I was going to say is the, uh, the soundtrack on the disc, a lot of, a lot of CDs at this time used red book audio and, um, for you know, crystal clear music and sound, and so a lot of the classic Castlevania songs on here just sound amazing. Right when you're playing through, the, my only complaint is some of the song length is a little bit too short because they tend to repeat a lot throughout the stages. But uh, it's not really a detriment. The soundtrack itself is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you're you're gonna hear so many classic Castlevania songs as you're playing through it, and you're gonna be like, wow, that's really cool. You know, so. Yeah, and they modify them just a little bit to kind of you know keep them fresh, but the yeah. you you catch those little hints of mm-hmm. you know bloody tears in there or whatever. Um, yeah, some of those great great yeah. soundtracks. But oh. yeah, that I mean that was my only other two things, and just the the level of detail in the sprite work, like I mentioned in the beginning, and just um, there's so many cool little touches graphically, whether it be in the first level with the behemoth crawling, you know up to you and he doesn't have i mean he's just a torso and a head um or it's the grim reaper after you beat the grim reaper and the scythe cuts his head off which i think is the only game that um in castlevania that does that there's just so many little touches of animation and detail that again we don't see that anymore in a lot of modern games because there's not i mean we they don't employ sprite work the same that they did in, in older games and in fact a lot of a lot of artists are not used to working with that like like it used to be so mm-hmm. um again kind of a product of its time for sure but um you know really just cements the fact that 
there's a, a certain level of, of care and detail that's put into this game that really shines. Well, and I think it's also an example of, you know, yeah, it's a it's a relic of kind of that gone time, but it's also mm-hmm. the like peak of what that was because I mean this was coming toward the very end of 2D side scrollers. You know, yeah. by the time this was coming out, we were already kind of moving into N64, yeah. um, PlayStation One with you know some pre-rendered backgrounds. It was a very different aesthetic to a lot of games, sure. and so that this was kind of like the last big bang before they ended um for us at least I, I would say i mean if you grew up in japan and and had a sega saturn at the time there was a, a ton of 2d games on the saturn that are fantastic but um and if you read like console wars or, or study some of the other stuff around that time you start to see how there was a huge push for 3d graphics and you know there was a disdain for the the 2d gameplay but really at the time with the more powerful hardware I mean, 2D games were just starting to come into their prime, really. Yeah, so it's kind true. of sad that we didn't get a lot of those games. You know, we had to go to, to different routes, whether it be importing or, you know, modding our console or stuff like that. So uh, it's weird, too, because now, you know, looking back now, I think a lot of two-dimensional games of that time have aged much better than the early, earlier uh, 3D games. And I still yeah. like some of those, too, but... You know, for the most part, like you can you can go back and, and take a, a 2D game for the most part and put it on a nice display and it looks fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, the other thing, like going back to what you said about there just being a lot of love in this game, where it comes through, too, is the the amount of how do I say this? Like the amount that you can interact with the background mm-hmm. is really astonishing. Yeah. Like little things like there might be some you know, beyond the the standard candles that have items in it, like there might be just like little flames on top of, you know, background items that you can whip and they disappear. Yeah. Or, yeah, where you were talking about the big behemoth coming through and wrecking walls. Like you can, there's just so many little touches where you can interact with the background in a weird way mm-hmm. or change something. And it just, it feels like more than just a sprite walking over top of, you know, the background display. Yeah, there's a later stage with the really tall candles. I, I, you know, you can throw the axe at the top of the candle and snuff the candle out. And so it's like, oh, I'm going to do that for every single candle. Maybe I'll get something secret. You don't, but it's just it's something you're able to do. Right. Yeah. It's 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 just a nice touch, and it feels again like like there was love put into this, and that this was an art and not just a product. Right. Yeah. So. All right. Do we want to talk some uh, tips and tricks? I know we didn't get any listener uh, feedback in terms of nostalgia for that this time, but um, that's okay. I mean, if hopefully um, anyone that that hasn't tried it, I'm I'm sure that they'll uh, they'll want to play it after listening to this show. But um, if yeah, we did our if we did our job right, they do. What's that? I said if we did our job right, they do. Well, you know, I mean, it's a little different with the technical difficulties and whatever, but. <laughs> You know, that's okay. Just building the anticipation. It's, adi- right. it's adding value to this episode is what it's doing. Right. <laughs> All right. We can talk a little tips and tricks then. How about tips and tricks? Um, okay. So what did you find this week? This was, again, your pick. So I'll let you go first. Got any good tips that help you get through this game? You know, I was trying to think about that. And um, there's not a lot that I was coming up with outside of... Um, you know, just 
when you're when you're fighting a lot of bosses and stuff, I mean, it's there's yeah, there's some elements of pattern recognition, but a lot of it more is going to be um, just kind of reacting to how things are going anyway. Um, so there's not always a strict formula that's going to work for every single boss because it might do things a little bit differently. But um, my only other trick, I guess, that I came up with is, and I don't know how useful this really is, but it is kind of a secret trick that when you when you swing your whip um, after you hit the button two or B button or whatever, um, if you double tap the direction that you're facing, uh, you'll extend the whip by just a tiny little bit. Yeah. And sometimes that does help. Like if you're fighting an enemy on the other side of a jump or things like that, um, you don't have to get over there. You, you can get just a little bit extra distance. Yeah, it, it makes a big difference because there's, you know, again, like you said, the game is all pattern recognition and there are several fights where that's really all it comes down to is just practice, 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 and you eventually get it. But there's um, just having that little bit of an advantage actually does does help quite a bit. So um, the one I came up with was one that I kind of stumbled on completely accidentally, but man, did it ever change this game. Um, when you're fighting Dracula, I think you know his form in this one is something that we're all fairly familiar with. It seems to be his kind of standard trope. Uh, again, kind of th- throwback to the original as well. But um, the, his first form, he's kind of just teleporting around the screen here and there. You have to hit him in the head, which for some reason he's like twice as tall as you are. And he'll throw fireballs out of his cape. So it's just kind of dodging those and hitting him in the head. And then after you beat him, he transforms into this giant gargoyle demon looking thing, which in when you play him in symphony of the night, he's actually not that hard because mm. pick your holy water, use your, you know, the whatever hyper attack and it just kind of wastes him, but it's not near that easy in this case. And he jumps really quick. He's kind of hard to avoid. It can be done. But one time I noticed like, as he was jumping toward me, I just kind of ducked and was prepared to take the full brunt. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, you can crouch down and stand right between his legs and he can't hurt you. Nice. So it's, the, the positioning is very precise, but basically like, yeah, you can start whipping him, hitting him in the head. And when he's about to jump and you can't quite get out of the way, just duck down, let him stand over you. <laughs> oh, I never, I never knew that. I'll have to try that. Uh-huh. Then just move on and go to the other side uh, with Maria. It's not really a problem because she can kind of you know, sl- slide under his legs. But, um, and honestly, her main attack is powerful enough that, she just kind of wastes him before he gets to the other side of the screen. But yeah, yeah, yeah. For Richter, it, if you get to that point and you're a little hesitant or scared and think he's gonna, you know, kill you, just duck, duck under his legs. You'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I guess the other strategy would be if you're if you're not confident enough on that, um, if you have enough hearts. I and mean, I don't think we really talked about this, but um, each sub weapon has um, what's called an item crash, which is sort of a, a super attack. It takes a bunch of hearts. So, um, like, if you got to the final boss and you had the boomerang and you, or the cross, I guess, um, if you use the item crush option for the cross, it's um, several large crosses that just, you know, come up on the screen. And it's like a mega crush attack that deals a ton of damage. So, you could kind of use that a couple of times and, uh, you know, get away unscathed. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was kind of mentioning the beginning of Symphony of the Night if you've got the holy water and you use that, the mm-hmm. kind of acid rain comes down and yeah. take, takes care of the demon form of Dracula and one or two hits, but it's <laughs> a little disrupt or deceptive because that's what I was fully prepared for. I'm like, Oh yeah, this just wastes him. I already know how to beat him. Mm-hmm. And I do right. that. And it's like, 
Oh, it's not near as effective. (laughs) And the funny thing, not to get too much into symphony, but uh, the funny thing with symphony of the night is um, depending on how you beat the, um, you know, that boss in the beginning of the game that determines what stats you'll get during the game, whether, so if you, you know, if you lose all your health and have to be um, revived, or if you just use the whip or if you use special items, uh, that determines what bonuses that Alucard gets right. for the game, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you were already familiar with that, you shouldn't have too much trouble with the final boss here. I think, like we've kind of talked about, there's the other bosses in the game are going to give you a little bit more trouble than Dracula will. Oh, there's a couple that are a total bitch. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I think the Grim Reaper always has that reputation of being the most difficult boss in all the games. Oh, yeah. And this is no exception. Um, he, yeah, he's just, tough. oh yeah. man, he just wastes you. Mm-hmm. And you're also kind of on a weird platform. You're at the top of this like mast on a yeah. ghost ship that guess, very yeah. easy to fall off. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so that's a, uh, for me was uh, the, I think, and it might be in one of the alternate routes. It's the knight that has the, uh, the lance and it's got the head that floats around. Yep. No, that's the regular route. That was the 4% oh. I was missing. Okay. Because I had taken the alternate route and kind of bypassed him, so I never actually fought him, yeah. and then kind of played through the game again and realized, like, oh, there it was. But yeah, it's yeah, a cool he, boss. It's just the, um, you know, the head kind of moves around independently and kind of tracks you, so um, it's a little tough. Yeah, he's he's tricky. Um, yeah. Most of the others I found were kind of just learn the pattern. Uh, like I said, the the bo- boss rush where you had you know the four original game characters in mm-hmm. a row that can be a little bit tricky, but um, well and. The the one after that when you fight Shaft that's that's an interesting fight too because that's kind of I always equate that as kind of a tennis match a little bit because you know when he kind of drops down on on one side of the screen you hit him and he bounces over to the other side and it's like back and forth mm-hmm. and then there's times where there's either a dragon that comes down and breathes fire or there's one that comes up out of the ground and and kind of surfs over right so that's that can be a little tricky too um, to get the timing down. Yeah, and the the you you fight Shaft twice. Um, the first time is kind of his physical form, where he's got like the different glowing balls. Mm-hmm. That that's one where I was a little bit deceived again playing Symphony of the Night first, thinking, "Oh, this is some kind of like trick. Like I'm not supposed to kill him. I'm supposed to go after the balls." And okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, uh, that's not the case here, but it is one of those where like those balls change color. And depending on whether they're blue or green or red or whatever, it like has a different elemental attack. And so it's, again, it's pattern recognition, but it's a difficult pattern to get used to. Um, yeah. Just well, because it, it changes so much. Four bosses in a row before him. Right. Yeah. You're kind of fatigued at that point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that all in all, the bosses were really fun. They were satisfying. Um, none of them were annoying. I mean, difficult, but not terribly annoying. Um, yeah. But yeah, and and following in line with what the Turbo Graphics kind of always purported to have was just you know they were gigantic and mm-hmm. took up the whole screen. They were animated, they yeah. were colorful. Like it just really felt like they were in charge of sure. the stage and the battle more so than just enemies or backdrops or whatever. But yeah, and that's again that's one of my that's one of my favorite things about the Turbo Graphics 16 is. Yeah, it's at its heart, it's an 8-bit system, but really it's an 8-bit system that uh, has extra power devoted to processing. So you can have a lot of 
fast moving things go on on the screen or you can have a lot of large effects that don't slow down the game right so. yeah i mean even in this one i'm still watching the video and they're they're back to the uh, algebra town and it's like there's flames in the background there's windows that are smashing open mm-hmm. and there's there's just kind of a, a rain of embers that are just floating in the air um yeah. and it just it adds for such a great atmosphere oh yeah do you really feel like you're in this burning town rather than just playing a stage of a video game so right it, it really kind of brought the world of transylvania and all of these games to life so yeah and it's it's almost sad too looking at it because i mean obviously at the time um the turbo graphics was never going to compete with nintendo and sega in the early 90s but uh, you know you look at stuff like this and had uh you know i had turbo technologies not taken over for uh nec who had already been kind of losing steam a little bit anyway you know had this game been decided to have been brought out in the U.S., I think it would have been, you know, either kind of a swan song for the PC Engine Turbo Graphics, or, you know, something to say, hey, you know, this system is way better than, you know, what else is out there. But obviously that was not the case. But um, the good news is, I mean, Dracula X is not a game that's lost to time. Right. It's been re-released. It's out there. Um, there's more ways to play it and discover it. And it's it's a game that deserves to be played and enjoyed and discovered because had it just been you know left overseas and lost on the shelf you know we probably wouldn't be talking about it today in the same way right yeah and and i like that people are aware of it enough to give it credit and to talk about it because i mean yeah it's it's cameo appearance in symphony of the night i think helped a lot but even then when i started researching like i said first thing i found was people saying like this is the definitive castlevania game to play mm-hmm. and so it's out there people know about it and it was probably purely because so many people hyped it up that nintendo was willing to put it out um because yeah I, not to second guess their marketing choices but like yeah i just don't see this would have happened otherwise so yeah all right so yeah it's definitely a win on uh in my books i would say safe to say i recommend from you oh absolutely <laughs> definitely so, all right. Well, I think that was a good one. Sorry for the delay for getting the episode out there, but hopefully it still lived up. Um, we've got another great episode planned for two weeks back to our mm-hmm. regular time, regular schedule. But right. um, yeah, we'll have a we'll have a big game that's uh, uh, loved by millions, and uh, there's going to be a lot of nostalgia for it too. So I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's sort of feedback and uh, their memories. So stay tuned. Yeah, definitely. So. Alrighty, well, uh, I think that one wraps this episode up. So, again, stay tuned. Keep on the uh, Facebooks and whatnot, and there's lots of ways to get a hold of us. Wes, why don't you go ahead and run down that list, let people know how they can find us. Sure, obviously, um, we've got a Facebook group going on, the Graveyard Duck Podcast um, Facebook group. There's a lot of good discussion going on there every day. Um, We're on Twitter as well, at Duck Graveyard. And you can also send us an email at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. Our show is hosted on Geek Nerdery, and we're on Apple Podcasts as well. So um, be, be sure to check us out there. And, um, you know, if there's other things that uh, you're interested in, check out Geek Nerdery. There's a lot of good shows on there, too. Definitely. So, all right. Well, stay tuned, and we will be back in two weeks with another great nostalgia memory-filled episode. But until then, I'm Scott. 
And I'm Wes, and just remember that meat and parfaits are hidden within walls. Try breaking suspicious-looking places, but I would warn you, um, if you happen to eat a parfait that you find in a wall, we're not responsible for what happened. Game over.